How are you doing? You're doing okay? I'm excited about this morning because I'm talking about taming the tongue. Out of all the messages in the book of James, this is probably the one that's going to ouch the most. So you're really excited that you chose this morning to come, aren't you? James is really passive about this. He doesn't really say what he means. I'm being a little bit sarcastic. Because he kind of starts it in chapter 1 of James, verse 26. So we're just going to straight into it this morning. He says this, If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Why don't you just say it nicely, James? Why don't you? You know, like he's just right in there. He's basically saying if you call yourself a Christ follower, if you call yourself a Christian but you can't control this, then your Christ following is worthless. It's pointless. It's nice opening, isn't it? Eh? And I think that we live in a time with the most vicious culture we've ever encountered right now, with cancel culture, people constantly commenting and saying whatever they want all over Facebook and social media, saying whatever they're thinking, people just blurted out there, they don't really give a rip, and um, as much as maybe um, I don't necessarily like a lot of things that our government is doing, I don't think it's appropriate to call our Prime Minister a horse and all that sort of stuff, it's just not right. It's not appropriate, it's not the right thing to do. We're meant to honour those that are in authority, which means that we give value to, it doesn't mean that we have to respect every decision they make, but we need to add value to people, yeah, that's what honour means, to add value to. You might have parents that you grew up with that you don't feel like that you should honour, but you need to honour them. It doesn't mean you have to respect their behaviour or respect the way that they brought you up, but honour means to value, and so we have to honour people. We've got to do the right thing, yeah, by things. But we live in a world today where it's like, if you say something I don't like, I'm going to cancel you, and I'm going to say whatever I want, and I'm going to share my opinion, and my opinion is truth, and everything else is rubbish. And here's the crazy thing about when it comes to talking about taming our tongue and controlling our words, because all the way through Scripture, it's very, very, God's always talking about how much He loves us, how much He cares about us. It's not really anything in Scripture except for one place where God talks about the things that He hates. Proverbs 6, God talks about six things that He hates. Three of them have to do with your words. It's something that God takes really seriously, but we can be a little bit blasé with. If three out of the six things he hates really comes down to your words, then it's, we've got to understand that our tongues are incredibly powerful, and God takes it a whole lot more seriously than what we do. It's a big deal to God, and as James said, if you can't control it, your religion is worthless. How many people feel encouraged so far this morning? But James actually talks about the tongue and the power of the tongue, not in chapter 1. He really gets into it in chapter 3. And, and the first thing, he, he kind of talks about three different things that our tongues do. And we're going to talk about those three different things. And we're gonna, I'm going to give you three practical things that you can do. And then some really cool like little advice right at the end. Is that all good? Yeah. Talk to me this morning. Is that okay? Awesome. So the first thing that James talks about in chapter 3 is that your words will determine your direction. Your words will determine your direction. You are the sum total of 
whatever you have said about yourself and whatever you have received about yourself that people have said, either what you've said about you or what people have said about you has determined the direction of your life. In fact, I would suggest to you that where you are today is the result of the person who has the most influence in your life speaking particular things over your life and you receiving them and believing them, whether they be good or whether they be bad, there is incredible power. We know that the scripture says that the power of life and death are in the tongue and those who love it eat of the fruit of it. In other words, those who, who crave that whatever side of it is, you're going to end up living that out in your life. And so it's really, really important. In fact, psychologists will tell you what your kids learn in the first eight years of their life is literally what they live out for the rest of their lives. Some people are like, oh, flip. <laughs> it's a bit late for us. 16 and 20, it's the, the horse is bolted. I would suggest to you that we are the sum of the relationships and the words those people have said over our lives. And we tend to become, as I said, the person that is most influential and receive what they say, and it sets the course of our life. James puts it this way in James 3, 3 to 4. He says, we can control very large horses by putting a small bit into their mouths. By controlling their mouth, we can turn the whole animal, whatever direction we want it to go, or take ships, for an example. A tiny rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot wants it to go, even though the winds are strong. And I don't know about you, but I do know about my own life that there are particular things, especially ones that I can think of, that are several negative comments or words that have been spoken to me over my life that really set the course of my life, set the insecurities I had, set the sense of inadequacy, set, set the set of rejection or that I'm not part. I mean, I grew up believing because one person said to me when I was about five or six years of age, said to me, how come you've got blonde hair and the rest of your family has brown hair? How come you've got blue eyes and the rest of your family doesn't have blue eyes? How come you have glasses but the rest of your family? Maybe you're adopted. And I grew up thinking, I'm not, I'm not like the rest of my family. I literally thought I was adopted somewhere along the way. I was waiting for that moment, you know, where my parents would go, hey, you're of the age, we need to tell you now. We start to believe the things, and when I look back over those things, they definitely, particular negative words over my life have definitely directed my life, and even though I constantly pushed against them, just like the winds push against the ship and the sea currents, it was still those words that directed the path of my life. And in the end, what I needed to do and what I had to do is I had to get some ministry and some counseling to get the truth in to replace the lies that I believe to reset the course of my life, because I wanted to move forward in the direction that God was calling me to, but I realized that these words were, even though I was pushing against it and trying to go in the direction that God wanted me to do, because I had believed and received these things, it was like the rudder was turning and I was pushing against it, but I wasn't going in the right direction. We have to be aware that it's not only the words that we receive that are important, but also the words that we say that are important. 
There's a great story in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, where, where God delivers the people of Israel out of Egypt and does this incredible thing, gets them all out of there, and now they're in the wilderness, and they're traveling around, and every morning when they woke up um, and they'd unzip their tents, God had provided fresh food for them every day. I, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like that's a dream. It's like you just wake up every morning. How many people here, how many, especially probably mums more than dads, how many here would be awesome if you just opened up your front door every morning and there was your breakfast, lunch, and dinner already made for you, perfectly sitting there, and all you had to do is pick it up and eat it? That would be like, whoo! You know, it's like it's my food bag at a whole other level. But the problem was is that the Israelites started complaining about the manna, and they started complaining about this and complaining about that. And the Bible says that they started complaining and saying, we want to go back to Egypt. We, we missed the garlic and the onions. It's like, I'd be like, I'm missing the crayfish and the eiffelet steak, but no, garlic and onions. How many people know you've got a real problem if you're missing garlic and onions over... I've never heard the kids say, hey, man, Dad, oh, really, can we just have garlic and onions? It would be a really, really great meal. And here's the thing. Those people that complained never, ever got into the promised land. That whole generation had to die out. Why? Because what they said, their complaining kept them out. It, we know also in that story that there was 12 spies sent out to spy the land, Yes. Twelve of them came back. Ten had a negative report saying, we, we can't do this. We can't conquer it. There's giants there. But there was two, wasn't there? Joshua and Caleb who said, hey, hey, we can do this. We can do this. We can go in there. God is with us. We're more than capable. And it says this in Numbers 13 verse 30. It says, when, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up once and take possession. For we are what? We are well able to overcome it. And I look around today at faces and, and people are quite long in their face and we've got COVID and we've got coronavirus and we've got the, the, the economy and we've got this and we've got that and, we, and there seems to be this panic. I had someone say to me this week, oh, the world's just getting worse and worse and worse. I'm like, read the Old Testament. You'll realize it's not any worse than it was in the Old Testament. We're just repeating ourselves because humans are idiots. We don't learn from history. We just keep repeating it. Yeah? I mean, read the Old Testament. They used to hand over their daughters over to, to men who would have their way with them to keep the visitors safe. Could you imagine that? Visitors, people come to your house and somebody wants them and so you hand over your kids instead. Your wife would kill you. But that's what they used to do, all sorts of crazy stuff like that. There's a reason why Moses had to write laws about not having sex with your mother-in-law and all this sort of stuff, because they were depraved, just like today. It's not getting any worse. But we are well able, yes? We are well able to go into the land. We are, are we going to let what we see around us and what we're hearing dictate to where we are going to go and what we believe that God can do, or are we going to be well-able people, because the 10 said in verse 31, but the men who'd gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than us. Here's the crazy thing. Both were right. The two that said that we can get up there did go up into the promised land and did conquer it, and the 10 that said that we can't didn't. 
Your words are important. We shape our words, but our words shape us. We shape our words, but our words shape us. And what I'm trying to do this morning, right now, in this moment, I'm just trying to stir you up a little bit to get you to understand that maybe some of the issues you've got in your life is not the people around you, and it's not the government, and it's not whatever conspiracy you may believe. Maybe the issue is that your words have shaped where you are. Maybe we've got to focus a little bit more on how we shape our words because our words shape our life and push us into the direction that we're going. And the first thing that James talks about is your words shape your direction. The second thing is my words can destroy what I have. My words can destroy what I have. Words can destroy everything you have. You don't have to pick up a gun or use your fists. You can destroy your life just with your tongue. You can destroy your marriage through words that you say. You can destroy your kids through words that you say. You can destroy your career through words that you say. In the heat of the moment, you can say the wrong thing to your boss and call him an idiot, or maybe not even say it quite that nice. And how many people know your career's over? Because you couldn't control your tongue. And I know, I've been married for 27 years now, and I know there are things that I can't even remember saying back in the early days when I was dumb, and every man, man in this building understands what I'm talking about, about being dumb in those early words, early years, because we tend to say things without thinking about it. Don't look at me like that. I know I'm speaking to you right now. I can't remember those words, but guess what? She can. Your words can destroy. The tongue has the power to destroy all things. James puts it this way in verse 5. He says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. You know that there was a fire in California a few years ago in America that burnt through 500,000 acres of land, destroyed 500,000 acres of forest. And when they did the investigation to find out how it all started, it all started by some poor guy who was setting up a tent because they were going camping, and he had a metal peg and a hammer, and he hit the peg into the ground like we would all do, but unfortunately a spark happened as the hammer and the peg hit, and it went down onto the grass. He didn't notice it, and 10 minutes later, the, the, the flames were so out of control, they had to abandon camp, and it turned into five hundred thousands of acres being completely destroyed, one devastating fire that took just one second to begin. And I have to ask myself this question and ask you this question, how many fires in our own lives have we started or are we starting because of something we said in one second? How many fires do we have in our lives or have we started because of something that was said in one second. James goes on and he gets really passive in this next couple of verses. 
And he says this, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Great. <laughs> He's basically saying you can't control, it's out of control. Your tongue is out of control. The tongue is way more powerful than we realize half the time. It's way more powerful. And we live currently in a culture at the moment that encourages you to comment and to comment again and to comment now and say what you think. And personally, I think it's all gotten really toxic and I'm over it. I'm over everybody sharing their opinions about this, that, and the other thing. Like, your opinion really matters in the big scheme of things. But I can say what I want. It's my truth. You can't say whatever you want. Try be married and say whatever you want and see how that works out for you. You can't. You can't say whatever you want. Let me give you two words that will help you to understand why you can't say whatever you want. Two words, duration and direction. Duration and direction. When it comes to our words and how much we say, it's how much we say and the direction that it goes in that is really, really, really important. How much you say and the direction it goes in is really, really important. In fact, James says in chapter 1, he says, remember, he says, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Slow to speak, quick to listen. In other words, the Bible teaches us that what we say needs to be limited. It needs to be limited. Listen to what Proverbs says in 10.19. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. I reckon that's, that's a verse we should all put on our fridges. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm going to put that all over my teenager's bedroom. I'm going to wallpaper their wall with that. In other words, he's saying, too much of this leads to sin. If you're smart, shut up. Limit it. Instead of saying everything we think we can say, he's saying less words are better. Now, if you have a teenage son, you've probably already got that because they can't grunt at every answer that you give, every question you give them. Proverbs says here again, and I've got the wrong scripture reference here, but it's in Proverbs. It says, when words are many, sin is not lacking, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Have you ever met that person that you know that maybe they've done... I, I've had this when I, when I had employees working under me. Not now, because all the employees in the church are just amazing. But prior to me being the pastor of the church, we're all perfect in the office, just in case you are wondering. Um, but prior to that, I had these guys that worked for me, and, and, you know, and they get Friday-itis or Monday-itis. You know, they just never work Fridays or Mondays. They're always sick or whatever. And, and I would get them, hey, are you, are you feeling all right? Are you okay? Like, what happened? How come you were sick? And then they start talking, yes? And if you're a smart boss, you just don't say anything. Just let them talk. And when they finish talking, just don't say anything. Just let the awkwardness of the pause, and they'll keep on talking. And before you know it, they are, I thought you said, oh, yeah, uh, uh, People can be, this is why telling the truth is always good because your truth you don't have to remember. Mm -hmm. 
too many words. Sin is not lacking. He who holds his tongue is wise. It's the duration. Less words is better, yes? The amount of words is important, but also the direction of those words is incredibly important. And and here's the thing. You, You don't actually have to like everything. You don't have to like everything here. You don't have to like everything in your workplace. You don't even have to like everything in society. You don't have to like everything. I just don't believe that what you don't like needs to go in every direction. You're free to not like the things that we do here. You're free not to like the stuff that I do as the pastor of the church. And by all means, if you've got a better idea than me on how to do things, I'd love to hear it. But I'd love to hear it. Not everybody else hear it, but I don't hear it. Just make sure you can be negative, you can have a criticism, just make sure that it goes into the right direction once you think it. Why? Because if you say it to everybody else, nobody else can do anything about it. Like in the workplace, if you're complaining to your colleagues about how dumb everything is, but not talking to your boss, what do you expect your colleagues to do about it? They're not the decision makers. You need to talk to your boss. If you like talking to all your friends about how bad your spouse is, but you never talk to your spouse about how bad they are, what do you expect your friends to do about it? Here's the problem. When we don't send negative stuff in the right direction, it goes in the wrong direction and ends up being toxic and gossip. When it goes in the right direction, it brings about change. It's okay to have a negative comment, just make sure it goes in the right direction and not all over Facebook. When negative comments go up, it's a good thing. When we share our negative comments up to our bosses or upwards, that's a good thing. It's when we share them downwards that it takes on a spirit of gossip. And you can be negative, but when it goes in the wrong direction, it becomes toxic. And so what do we need to do? We need to understand this, that pass negatives up and praises down. Pass negatives up and praises down. It's like when I think about a whole lot of things that I don't currently like in our nation, I'm passing my negative comments up to the one who's in charge. Come on. And I pass praises down. Are you with me? When it comes to Trinity, I don't sit the kids down and say to them, hey, kids, let me tell you a few problems that your mother's got right now. In all honesty, I wouldn't have to tell them that already. No, no, just joking. Just joking. Woo! I'm walking on a farm. I don't do that. I talk to her. And when we are frustrated with the kids, which happens once in a blue moon, we talk about it first and get a plan of attack. Oh, no, sorry, a plan, not of attack, a plan of conversation. (laughs) So that we're on the same page. So hopefully we can have a conversation that brings about change. But no point me complaining to Anna, well, it's quite, Anna about, now, 
what I'm saying is all of this is that there's a difference between getting counsel, yeah? So if you're frustrated with your spouse or whatever, there's a difference between sitting down with a pastor or someone and getting counsel on how do I deal with this or how do I shift this? It's completely different. That's okay, because the Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. You're going to find the right people, and that's a good thing. It's just when you tell everybody else. Are you, are you okay today? We pass negatives up, and we pass praises down. And so far, if you've heard this message, you're like, oh, this is one of them positive talk messages. No, the Bible is not about positive talk. Because the next thing is where the transformation. So you can go, you can go to a Tony Robbins conference or whatever, and you get all this positive talk stuff, but you won't get transformation. See, the key part of this whole entire message is the bit that I'm just about to share, and that is this: is this my words reveal my heart? My words reveal my heart. It reveals what's inside of you, what's in your well. What the bucket brings up is what's in the well. It reveals your heart. James says it this way. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. In other words, he's saying that there's a war going on here. We love God. We really, really do love God, but then we talk badly about others. And we have to understand this, that we're actually complaining about someone God loves. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So what is James going on? It feels like he's going in a whole other direction here. What he's saying here is springs in Scripture. The spring relates to what's going on on the inside of you. It's a metaphor for the heart. He's basically saying that blessing and cursing can't come from your heart. Salt and fresh can't come from your heart. They're at opposites to each other. And so what he's really saying here is that the problem of your tongue is the problem of your heart. The problem with your tongue is because there's a problem in your heart. It's not about working on just what you say. It's about asking God to take a look at the inside of me and go, where has that come from? And this is where it steps from being an instruction message of speak good words and speak negativity up and praise down to where we start getting into transformation because James is saying here, hey, 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 if you find you have a problem of negativity, if you find you have a problem of gossip, if you find you have a problem with just bad words coming out of your mouth all the time, it's because there's a heart problem and what you need is a heart transformation. James goes on and he says this, he says in verse 7 to 8, he says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
What is the point of this message about taming our tongue if James says it's impossible for any human to tame what comes out of their mouth? The reason is this, you can't tame your tongue, but God can transform your heart, and God tames our tongue by transforming our heart, and as our heart transforms, so our tongue follows. And some of us, we just work so hard on saying the right thing. I've got to make sure I'm saying the right thing, saying the right thing. You know what? You can say the right thing as much as you like, but if the heart hasn't been transformed, it won't have the impact that you want it to have because it's not coming out of the right place because the Bible says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's what's in your heart that is the problem, not what you say that is the problem. And this is where God's transforming power takes place. Three things that you can do to help transform your heart. The first thing is allow God to change your heart. Allow him to do it. If it doesn't change, it doesn't matter how Christian you are. It doesn't matter how often you turn up to church. It doesn't matter how often you read your Bible. It doesn't matter how often you pray or how big you give or how much you serve. If your heart doesn't change, James says, your tongue, if it's not controlled, which we understand is our heart being transformed, our religion is worthless. That's why Jesus said to those people, but we prophesied in your name, we healed the sick in your name, we cast out demons in your name, and he says to them, what, get away from me, I never knew you. You never had a heart transformation. You're just doing all the religious stuff without heart change. Listen to this in Hebrews 10, 18 to 12. It says this, this is the covenant. This is God speaking to us. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Listen to this, I will put my laws or the word in their minds and write them on their hearts, not written on the pages of a book, but written in your hearts. It's not what you have to do, it's actually who you become. How do you know if God's laws are written in your heart? Because you don't do things because you have to do them, you do them because that's who you are. I suppose I should join a serving team because I have to, you have to serve in church. If that's your attitude, don't do it. We don't serve because we have to, we serve because we get to. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, that he humbled himself and died on the cross. He served us. So when it's written on my heart, I don't serve because I have to. I serve because that's who I am. And then it goes on and says, I will be that God and they will be my people. And listen to this, because I've never seen this before. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. In other words, he's saying here, no longer we have to teach people to be obedient to God because they will know me. No longer will we need to get up in church and say, hey, this is what you should do and shouldn't do, and, and guys, you know the scripture says this, and da-da-da-da-da. We won't have to do that because it's in their hearts, not in their heads. 
I'm going to have to try and... Because the thing is, the problem is this, is, is convincing you logically will never shift you. But having an experience, an encounter with God that transforms your heart, that will never be unconvinced by anybody. Relationship is experience, not knowledge. Not saying that knowledge is bad. From the least of them to the greatest, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. I think that's interesting. When we get it written on our hearts, God forgives us, remembers our sins no more. Here's the thing. I think there are a whole lot of people in this room that really, really love God and really love the church worldwide. And you're trying to be a good person. You're trying to do the right thing. But I'm telling you, if we don't transform our hearts, if we don't have it written on our hearts, it's not going to work. Not only transformed once, but asking him to transform you every single day. Psalms puts it this way, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See how the two go together? Words of my mouth, meditation of my heart. You can't get away from it. They're always connected. You will never be able to separate what is coming out of your mouth from what's in your heart. Right heart leads to right words. Right heart leads to right words. And can you imagine people with right hearts that have right words? Can you imagine the transformation that we could bring to others? Allow God to fix your heart. Second, put a filter on what you allow in your heart. Put a filter on it. We all love God and we all want to do the right thing, but here's the problem. There's no way that that's going to happen if you keep on letting all that crap in. Some of the music we listen to, some of the stuff we watch, some of the things we read. You put junk in, you're going to get junk out. You've got to put a filter on it. Matthew puts, uh, Jesus puts it this way in Matthew, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings out good things out of the what? The good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the what? The evil stored up in him. So in other words, what comes out of your mouth is based on what you have stored in your heart. So here's my question for you and I. What in your life is storing up evil that you've got these constant negative words constantly coming out from within? What is it? You've got you to stop and you've got to ask yourself, God, what is going on in here? What is happening in my heart? Where is this coming from? What's going on? Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your for everything, not some things, everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. Everything. Put good in, get good out. Number three, decide to speak words of life. Can I just get the band to come? That would be awesome. Decide to speak words of life. First of all, allow God to change your heart. Second of all, put a filter on it to protect it. 
And third, decide to speak words of life. This is actually really important to me, this last point, because one of the values here at Revive, one of our values is that we will be life-giving in nature. In other words, everything we do, we want it to be giving life to people. If it's not giving life, we're not going to do it. It's got to be life-giving. Speak words of life. Let's be people that speak blessing and words of life over people. Why? Because that will change the world. It will change the world. First words that you can do is words of affection. Words of affection. I love you. Tell your spouse every single day, I love you. Well, I told her on the day we got married, and if I change my mind, I'll let her know. She needs to hear it. Your kids need to hear it. They need to hear, I love you. Your parents need to hear it. I love you. Words of affection. You know, there's only two times in Scripture that the words of Father God are recorded. One at Jesus' baptism and one at the transfiguration on the mountain. And it's exactly the same words. And you're going to know it as soon as I tell you. He says this to him. This is my son in whom I love and whom I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. Only two I'm sure they had lots more conversations than that as father and son. But the only two recorded in Scripture are the words of affection from the father to the son. And Jesus, oh God, the Scripture is trying to show us, hey, this is what you do. My son's sitting down the back doing all the slides this morning. I love my son, and I'm incredibly well pleased with him. I love my church family, and I'm incredibly well pleased with you. You know, here's the thing. Nobody ever got offended through words of affection. I love you. Oh, that, that offends me. No one ever gets offended by that. Words of affection. The second thing, words of praise. No, no, I'm not talking about praise. As in, I'm talking about, hey, well done. Good job. That was awesome. You did so well. We had some people doing five-minute messages on Friday night that kind of took them for a process of how to put a message together. They all did awesomely well. Sarah Willoughby was one of those who did awesomely well. And the reason why we've got to give praise is because I can tell you what's going to happen in some of those people's lives and some of your lives as you leave today is that you're going to start to believe the words that others have said over you, that you're not good enough, that you're not really part of this, that you shouldn't really be expecting God to do that because you've got this and that and that. And, and you need people that have words of praise. You're awesome. You've done so well. I'm so proud of you. Solo mums in our church, I'm so proud of you. You've done so well to raise families like that on your own. It's amazing what you have done. Words of praise. Proverbs says this, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Beautiful gold apples and a beautiful silver bowl. It's something beautiful about words of praise. The next one is words of encouragement. Words of encouragement. Everybody needs to be encouraged. 
To encourage means to put courage in. To discourage means to take courage out. We need to be putting courage into people. There are some people facing really, really difficult things and hard stuff, and we need to put courage on the inside of them. We need to encourage them. Keep on telling them. Ephesians says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful to what? Building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those that are listening. In other words, let everything that comes out of your mouth build people up, encourage them. Does that mean I can't ever you know, criticize something? No, no, no. It, you, you're allowed to point out in, in, in your kids' lives or whatever if there's something that they need to address, but we do it in a building up kind of way. Brent Lieberzeit is like that for me. He will correct me on some bad thinking and make me feel fantastic about it. He has this ability to encourage, but correct at the same time. Why? Because correction always points you in the direction that God wants you to go. Criticism always pins you to your past mistakes. We need to encourage people. Everything we say either builds people up or it tears people down. And we need to be people that build people up. Next one is words of healing, and we're nearly done. Words of healing. Proverbs 15.4 says, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. Man, there's some people that need healing in our world. There's some people that have got loved ones that have committed suicide, and also they need words of healing. Last one is words of faith. Words of faith. Not talking about what we can see. Not talking about who they actually are right now, but talking about who they can become. Why? Because faith is the evidence of things unseen, the substance of things hoped for. Here's a key for you and I that should hopefully help us in life. People know where they are at. They don't need reminders. They know what their weaknesses are. They know what their issues are. They don't need you to remind them. They need you to tell them what they could be. They need to be told what they could be, who they could be. Romans 4.17 says this, Abraham is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the death and calls things that are not as though they are. We need to speak into people's lives about who they're going to be, not who they are, but about who they can become. You will change your life. You will change your family's life. You will change the lives of those around you, and we will change our community if we can get our words right. But the way we get our words right is through the transformation of our heart. No human can tame the tongue. Here's the thing, when God transforms our heart, the tongue tames automatically.